Our wine producers that are exporting the world's best wine, and I have an argument with Jerry Brown about that as well. <laughs> Governor, come on. Governor, come on. Put down the pom-poms on that one. Come we'll on. we'll have an Thank argument about that yeah, another day. Okay, okay. That was Washington Governor Jay Inslee trying to talk a little smack about Washington state wine. Now, for many of you, the question popping in your head right now is, who the hell is Jay Inslee? Don't sleep on Inslee. He's very likely to be running for president in 2020. And in today's episode of It's All Political, we get to know him a bit. I'm Joe Garofoli, the Chronicle's senior political writer. And today we'll hear what Inslee has to say about the Immigration Detention Center in his state. And just to let you know, we recorded this before President Trump's executive order that said families should no longer be separated after they cross the border illegally. We also talk about how a trade war could affect his state and how the legal marijuana industry is doing up there. And also about Washington's massive homeless problem. Enough of listening to me. Let's listen to Jay Inslee. Governor Inslee, welcome to It's All Political. Uh, you say it all in the title. I, I'm glad you're fixated on this part of life. It is all political. Everything's all political. <laughs> so let's let's talk about the like the, the issue of the day first of all, which is this you know this, this family separation policy that the Trump administration's enforcing now. What can you, as a governor, do about this? You have a you have a federal detention center there in Seattle. I guess there's what 200 immigrants there, or some something along Something's those lines. In that yeah. What can you as a governor do about that there? And, I, and I, I presume you disagree with the policy. Well, we, we can do everything that we can. And uh, starting with speaking up and speaking out, I may have been the first governor who spoke out on this, writing a letter to Jeff Sessions exposing the cruelty and the inhumanity of this. And we did that some time ago, uh, early in the process, because we need those voices right now. Voices count in this culture, in this country, and we need to all express them, governors, family members. And this has been uh, something that has really made people irate. You know, my daughter-in-law, we just saw her the other day, and she said, what can I do? And I said, well, speak up, speak out, go to the demonstration that was held uh, this past weekend. So speaking up is important, and it's important for people in my positions to do so, and I have not been uh, reluctant to do so. We were the first state to sue the Trump administration to stop the Muslim ban, and we've succeeded to date on this. So that we're well, uh, we're well adept, positioned, and, and, and quite willing and able to stand up to Donald Trump. So speaking up is important. Second, we're looking forward to, to the extent we can to the care uh, of these children. So we have some children in the state of Washington that have been uh, cruelly separated from their parents as a part of this policy of the Trump administration. And we are, uh, we've investigated their circumstances, and we are now continuing what we can do legally to protect them from this policy. Our Attorney General, uh, Bob Ferguson, who's been uh, done a great job, is mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. reviewing our options right now to find out if we could have standing to protect those children in some regard, and we're, we're checking that out right now. Third, we're urging people to vote. Look, the most important thing you can do if you're outraged about this is vote, and not just you voting but find a son or a daughter or a nephew or niece or a grandchild. If we get everybody under the age of 35 voting, this policy is going to change because people are going to come to the poll in droves, and I believe that they can and will and need to. So those are things um, that we can do uh, because we have to change the course. And as I know, I'm, I'm in San Francisco today, I'm chair of the Democratic Governor Association. We're, we're making sure that we elect Democratic governors who can affect these policies as well across the United States. So there's a lot on the table 
Oh, by the way, I do want to mention this too. This is not just an outrage when it comes to children. Every father, every mother, every grandfather, every grandmother, every uncle, every aunt uh, should be outraged by this policy. But the double outrage is the fact that Donald Trump has lied about this, saying that he has to do this because of the Democratic Party. And this is a venal uh, cruelty on the political side because he is so he knows he's been caught with his hand in the cookie jar. He knows that this outrages Americans. And to try to shift this to blame to someone else is just ludicrous. So this has exposed the propaganda of this president. This president just doesn't lie as a matter of a character fault. He does so as a part of a propaganda exercise. And we got to stand up against that. And that's sort of that. I tumbled to this the other day when I just saw him say this. I said, this is much bigger than just this issue. Right. It's an effort to use propaganda, the big lie stated repeatedly in the hopes that they can skate and avoid responsibility. Well, it's not working. The evangelical community, Laura Bush, uh, and, and, and every parent I know is outraged by this policy. Does the, the president says, hey, he's just enforcing the law. If the, in the law states, if you cross the border, you are committing a crime. What do you do? Is, isn't that right? No, it's not right because there is nothing in the law that requires the separation from the parent, from the child, even if they are detained, even if they were rightfully detained, there's nothing that requires the separation of parent and child. And the only reason they are doing that, and this is kind of interesting to me, people who abuse children usually don't brag about it and usually don't admit they're doing it. The Trump administration, Jeff Sessions, admitted to this. Mm-hmm. He admitted the reason we are doing it, the fundamental logic of this, is to torture parents and children uh, to to make them anxious and fearful. That's the reason for this policy. And so it's shocking to me that they would admit that yeah. because it is not required in the law at all. And uh, and that's what's so disappointing about it. And he knows this. To say that Democrats passed a law is just a big fat lie. And it, it, it's, it, it ought to be disturbing to anyone that someone who works for us, which is the president, should lie to the American people like that. Now, the images we're seeing, you know, we've been seeing the last few days are, are horrible. As we kind of alluded to that it rips your heart out. But of course, since this is it's all political, let's look at the political side of this. And, you know, in your in your role as the head of the Democratic Governors Association, as you said, does this help Democrats? I mean, and, and where specifically? Where do you see this issue having an impact and uh, in, in, in what governors races could it potentially impact? Well, I don't I know this is the show is called All Things Political, but I just really don't like to look at this issue right. at, from an electoral lens. Yeah, There is revulsion in the country by Republicans and Democrats alike. alike. Uh, you know, you saw a former first lady espouse that. Yes, Laura Bush. So, yeah. so there is, a, I, to some degree, a bipartisan recognition that this is a, a callous indifference to matters of the human heart. People understand how damaging it is to young people. So I don't like to think about it from the electoral uh, standpoint. But uh, I can't believe that those who are running for office as Republicans who think that this would be helpful to put on their yard signs that I've stood up to take rip children away from their mothers. I, I can't believe they would think that that would be helpful. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I doubt that it, that it would be. And, and again, this is an indicative, though, of a larger problem with the Trump administration, which is this eagerness to to deceive the American public about what basically is going on with with their business. And he he does it every day. And if this was just an annoyance, it would be 
you know, an annoyance, but it is a threat to democracy mm -hmm. when you have a president who's willing to use the bully pulpit to be a bully. Teddy Roosevelt, when he said use the bully pulpit, he didn't mean use it as a bully. He didn't mean use it as a propaganda tool. He didn't mean to use it to lie about the most basic fundamental aspects of public policy. And, and this is, I think, uh, uh, it's doubled down as, as far as the, the damage that we recognize this administration can cause. They, the, the president, conservatives, and Republicans all over the place, uh, particularly here in California, say, and, and perhaps they do in Washington state, that this is connected to, uh, they, they want to protect against uh, uh, violence in this country, and MS-13. MS-13, the, the, the vicious gang, is invoked a lot. Are they exaggerating the impact of MS-13? What is the impact of MS-13 in Washington state? Are they, are they really that much of a public menace? Uh, and and, and is that, are those claims being exaggerated? Uh, grossly, repeatedly, and through a propaganda exercise that this administration has embraced and used as a tactical tool. And, you know, propaganda is, as I've said, you tell the big lie and you repeat it over and over again until some people accept it. And that's what's going on here. Look, if you look at the stories, and we have, I was down at the detention center here in, in SeaTac, just south of Seattle. We went to the detention center. Uh, a congresswoman went in and spoke to these uh, people. They were mostly women that she talked to. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, these are women who were victimized in Central American countries. They were threatened with death by, by some of the gangs. These are the victims of the gangs, not the gangs. These are the people who, who are most angry and fearful of the gangs. These are the people that American policy has provided a legal means of asylum. And I stress the legal means. These are folks who, under law, have the right that's centuries old to seek asylum in the United States. And we have always been willing to uh, extend asylum to those who've been so uh, victimized by violence. And so, yes, there is a gang activity, and these are the people you ought to be embracing, not victimizing with your distortion of reality. It, it's, it really is, you kind of have to wonder about someone who would see a picture of a six-year-old girl crying after being torn away from her parents and call that person, you know, uh, a gang member yeah. and try to create this brush of gang activity. What type of callously indifferent heart would do that? It, it, it's, it's most shocking. So, yes, he is trying to do that. I don't think it's particularly working, and that's why you have so many Republicans who are critical of him now on this issue. You know, if you had to look for a bright lining, it would be nice to think that Republicans would finally get a little spine and be more willing to stand up against the multiple uh, uh, malfeasance by this president. And if this is the first time in... Maybe they'll get used to it and do it more often. That would be a good thing for the country. We'll, we'll see if that happens. Yeah. <laughs> the, uh, now, of course, we in California always like to brag about how far ahead we are in things. But i got to say, Washington State has been ahead of California on three issues in terms of uh, the progressive community. Uh, you're ahead on uh, legalizing cannabis. You're ahead of California on uh, legalizing same-sex marriage. And you're ahead on sanctuary state policy, correct? You, you had yours about a year before we had ours. Well, and, I'm not and, sure. Yeah, I'm not sure how you'd score that. We have a good policy. We've resisted the refugee, uh, 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 you know, ban the Muslim ban by the president. I would turn more to the fact that uh, we had a net neutrality. Uh, we've been the first state uh, in the United States to have net neutrality, and it's a battle I've been fighting for years, and I'm glad we succeeded. We're ahead on gender pay equity, where we just we have the first law in the country that will allow women essentially, or one of the first in any event allow women to 
make sure that men aren't getting paid more secretly. Uh, I just adopted, and I'm, I'm happy about this, an executive order that will protect uh, workers, particularly women, from abuse being forced to sign these arbitration agreements so they cannot be protected in the judicial system. And I passed a, an executive order that will use the procurement power of the state of Washington to prevent women being vi victimized in that way. Uh, uh, so, yes, we're doing some good things, but California is doing some good things, too. Uh, Jerry Brown's leadership has been remarkable. I can't tell you how much I admire his leadership, his work on climate change, where arguably California is ahead of Washington to some degree on a climate change policy. So we have some good things on that score, too, including a cap I've put on carbon pollution. But there's more we have to do. So I would say that this is a we have a healthy we have a healthy competition. Uh, and uh, including in having the most electric cars. We go back and forth between <laughs> okay. one and two on per capita usage of electric cars. That is a nerd war that I don't know if, uh, who I've never heard that nerd war before. That's <laughs> very impressive. But you're also, you're also Washington, California, also uh, doing battle in a not so good stat, and that's the homeless situation. Mm -hmm. uh, homeless is, is booming in Washington state, uh, especially in the Seattle area, just like it is here in San Francisco, Los Angeles, Oakland, where I live. Um, a lot of that's come under your watch, and I know that you can. There's everybody's responsible, city, state. What do you say to that? When you, how do you explain how that homelessness has boomed under while you've been governor? Well, I would say that that, that it makes us heart sick, and particularly families with children to not be housed, it, it, which has grown as well. So it, it all it all ought to sharpen our focus and trying to find solutions to this. Mm -hmm. The causes of this are not one or two; they're multiple. The thing that's an, a great irony is. Um, is that there are some costs of having a tremendous economy. So CNBC listed Washington as the best place to do business in 2017. Uh, business Insider Magazine said we had the best economy in the United States in 2018. And the punishment for that is you get more homelessness because you have 65,000 people moving in and driving up the rents. And every time rents go up $100 in my state, homelessness goes up about 12%. So you have this bizarre irony that the places that give our children the most opportunity and have the hottest economies also make it hardest for the people who are the lower end of the economic ladder. So this is endemic to the places with the greatest economic growth, which is Seattle, San Francisco, some of these other communities that are, are, that are hotbeds for technological development. Yeah. What can so you what do we, at it from the, so from the governor's office? Well, we, we, we have multiple layers of government that need to help. We've increased, we, we've had a variety of things we've done. We've increased our investment in our capital dollars to actually build low-income housing. We've increased our support uh, network for people uh, avoiding, who have an opioid and alcohol problem, which obviously is, uh, have been up at epidemic proportions. By the way, I think our opioid um, uh, initiative is one of the best in the United States, and, and, and it should be because of the, the damage this is, this is causing. This is something both cities, counties, states all have to work on. We are. It's not enough. We have housed thousands of people, but more people have come into the homelessness ranks because of the rents going up dramatically. Right. The combination of that and the opioid crisis. So we got to improve our mental health system. We got to have a better response to opioids. We have to build more housing stock. And here's the thing that we haven't had enough discussion of. When you have all these people moving in, you simply have to build more housing. And our, our housing starts have not kept pace with the number of people who are moving into our state. When that happens, rents skyrocket, and those at the low end of the spectrum fall off the housing market. And by the way, about a third of these people who are, 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 are homeless 
are actually working full time. These are people who want to work. They're great citizens. They want to pay their taxes. They want their kids to go to school. And because of these astronomical rents, that has been uh, the issue. So we need to do more and we will do so. And um, you, you recently there was a proposal for a uh, we got a head a head tax uh, for sort of a corporate tax two hundred seventy five dollars per employee that um, the Seattle in Seattle that the, the city council there passed and then it, it, it backtracked on it after Amazon put them in a headlock. What can you do as governor about that? Did you think that was a good idea and should that be revived? And what I mean, corporations, as you say, are the the, uh, the economy's economy's booming there. What's the responsibility of corporate America to help uh, the least of uh, of us? Well, I think we all have some responsibility in this regard, and because of the booming economy that we have, ironically, we have a greater obligation to help the least amongst us. That I believe is part of our community responsibility. And I would not judge what happened there with that particular proposal as sort of diminishing Washington's uh, recognition of that fact. There were concerns about the fact that the council uh, had a proposal that had not been vetted with the public about how to actually invest the money. And that was a fundamental issue, even perhaps even more so than the, the nature of the tax policy. So you should not take that as a collapse of support for housing programs. I know we're gonna, the, the community and the region is going back to the drawing board to look at another way to finance these things. And our state, I am confident, will continue our effort on a state level to provide more resources for housing. Uh, I believe that we will continue on that. But it isn't just housing. It's the mental health services. Mm-hmm. It's the job training services. It's the opioid reduction programs that really have to be there to help these families. One of the things we're trying to focus on in Washington on our state efforts is to reduce homelessness amongst youth. My wife Trudy is very active on this. We tried to, to make that a, a central focus of what the state is doing in this matrix. Uh, that ought to be a top priority. How about uh, a trade war? Where you know, how would that affect Washington State if we, if the, you know, the, we've seen from both from China, from Europe, from Canada? <laughs> how would that affect your state? Well, what are your we, biggest concerns? We are the most trade dependent. We have the best export economy in the in the United States. We're most dependent on exports, I believe, per capita in the United States. So a reduction of our ability to export products is is as or more damaging to our state than any other state. And we've already have great concern. Our apple growers, about 10% of our apples have been exported to Mexico. And as a result of the, uh, you know, the emissions from the White House, um, We've already had a temper, uh, 25% tariff put on by Mexico, so our apple growers are very concerned about that. Uh, our wine producers that are exporting the world's best wine, and I have an argument with Jerry well, Brown about that as well. Governor, come on. <laughs> Governor, come on. Put down the pom-poms on that one. Come well, on. we'll have an I argument about that yeah, another day. Okay, okay. It's quality. Remember, it's quality, <laughs> not quantity. All right, all right. Both places are good. Say. I'll, I'll settle for a tie on this one. Um, <laughs> but our wine producers are concerned about losing market access in China. And our manufacturers are so concerned. So I was at a boat building company that uses aluminum and a company that makes low-income housing. You know, we were just talking about housing. We have a new low-income housing company called Blockable, and they're figuring out a way to make low-income housing on a prefab basis that's net zero, really high-quality construction. But they use a lot of steel and aluminum, right? So their prices are going up as a result of this. So yes, we are already seeing damage in our state as a result. And the concern is, 
everybody knows we can always do better in any trade agreement. Certainly have concerns about intellectual property in China. I've been talking about this for 10 years. Yeah, I mean, not gonna, there, there's, there's the tech it's, firms. Yeah. It's legitimate to, to put pressure on China. But this is kind of a wholesale throwing darts at the dartboard with no, that I can fathom, central tactic or strategy. And, and the president has done so much to, to unnecessarily aggravate our allies. Uh, it makes it more difficult to have a success in where we can lift all boats. And I wish he didn't go looking for quite so many enemies amongst our friends. Mm. Um, as the chair of the, of the Democratic Governors Association, we 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 ask this question to everybody who comes through here. What is the Democrats' message? What is your elevator pitch when you travel to fifty states and and talk about this stuff? And, it, and it, it's got to be more than Trump sucks. Well, it is not that because, and I frankly, and that's an important point because um, we're not going to do well this year because of who he is. We're going to do well this year because of who we are, and we are the party who fundamentally believes that everybody ought to have a shot in life. All our kids ought to have an opportunity. Uh, people ought to have access to, to health care and a good education to give them an opportunity. And that's who we are. The other uh, side is dedicated to tax cuts for the rich, and that's really the only thing that unites them. And they will, they will be slavishly uh, following Donald Trump as long as he gives them tax cuts for the rich because that's what they believe in Monday through Sunday. So uh, we will be talking about basically economic messages of economic opportunity and the central focus on education, a focus on health care, a focus on economic expansion, a focus on everyone having access in, in our economy. And our policies are directed to that. I'm proud that my state has the best family leave policies in the United States. I'm proud that we've increased our minimum wage. I'm proud that we have increased our financial aid uh, to college students significantly. I'm proud that we've increased early childhood education. These are, I'm proud that we're now probably leading the state, maybe tied with Colorado, in a career-connected learning program. So if you're a blue-collar family, you want to make sure your kid has access to an opportunity, even if they don't go to a four-year institution. We have to have all our kids have an opportunity to have a great, uh, a great profession, even if it doesn't involve a four-year college degree. So all of these things are wrapped around the pole of, of giving people more economic central uh, opportunities. And that's our central unifying message. And it unifies Democrats uh, across the country. And we have a winning message in, in, in contrast to the Republicans that are still just trying to focus on tax cuts for the rich. And that's all they kind of are centrally. It's the only thing they can get done um, while blowing up the deficit and reducing support for, for people's educational opportunities. Uh, we feel we're going to do very well. And I do believe the evidence suggests that's true. We've picked up something like 46 seats since the inauguration. Leg legislative. Of the, the legislative and congressional yeah. seats. We know that was the best attended inauguration in human history, according <laughs> to the president. But they didn't seem to show up to vote, yeah. uh, all yeah. of those people who went to his inauguration. What are a couple of races that you are focusing on, uh, gov races? Well, most recently, uh, I was just off on the phone with the Iowa Democratic Party. We have uh, a tremendous uh, opportunity in Iowa and Nevada. We just got a great candidate, Sislac, uh, 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 you know, Wisconsin, uh, New Mexico, Maine, Michigan, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Florida, and then we're getting into South Carolina and Georgia and and Oklahoma, places where historically we have not been competitive, but sure we believe we can be because there's such energy of people 
who want to go vote to to restore the value system of this country. And it is tremendous. And these these early wins, like I said, flipping 46 seats is unprecedented, I think, in American political history in just one year after any president has been nominated. nominated. So what we're seeing is a, a huge energy of people, of Democrats and independents and Republicans, who want to put a check on what's going on and restore some economic stability and fairness to the country, and, and that's happening big time. Now, California, we're going to do well in California, so I, yeah, I don't, think think that, don't think that I'm ignoring California. <laughs> I, it should be on your, at least of your worries, given the, the, just the voter registration. Well, it's an important, it's an important yeah, state yeah, because, yeah. Um, you know, having, having Gavin as a nominee is very helpful, not just from the state, uh, from the governor's perspective, and it's important to the state when you look at the opponent who was, you know, acquaints uh, gay and lesbian people to bestiality and has fought to take away a woman's right of choice and... Gavin has been fighting for these things for years. It's important in those things. But it's important for all the races down ballot as well to elect members of the U.S. Congress from California to get people to vote, to come out to vote, mm-hmm. so we can retake the U.S. Congress. And it's important for Democratic governors to get elected so we can stop the gerrymandering that's going on, which is so such a cancer on yeah. democracy. And the best and today, the Supreme Court that's took a dive, to yes. unfortunately, what? and didn't rule on this. It's very disappointing. But so no. the, the, this is, as we record this, the uh, Supreme Court uh, basically took a pass on on whether to take action on two gerrymandering cases in, in Wisconsin and Maryland that were brought to it today. Uh, didn't rule on the merits of it, but said in one case the the, the, the uh, um, plaintiffs didn't have standing, and then and then sort of took a powder on the other one too. How does that affect what you're trying to do? Well, it's disappointing because this really is a, a virus that has infected our democracy, because fundamentally people don't get to decide who their member of Congress is. The, leg- the legislature and the governors get to decide when they gerrymander a state. And everyone knows under any objective analysis that the Republicans have been incredibly uh, devious and successful in gerrymandering these states, where Ohio is a 50-50 state, but two to one, the Republicans represent them in Congress. Same thing in Florida, same thing in Pennsylvania. So the antidote to that is electing Democratic governors because a Democratic governor can restore some semblance of fairness as Tom Wolf did in Pennsylvania where he vetoed this gerrymandered map by the Republicans. Uh, we have eight states. We have a, a program called Unrig the Map, and the Unrig a Map initiative is going to help in the eight states where governors can stop gerrymandering, and President Obama won twice. So if anybody's interested in that, if they want to check out uh, uh, our website, they're free to do so because they certainly can get engaged in helping. What's the, uh, that, what is the, you want to give a website there? Unrig the Map? You, they'll find it either Unrig the Map or Democratic Governors Association. we got two of them. So both of them are, are, are very important, and uh, we think they're going to do well. Let's talk about that. Democrats are, are kind of split when it comes to talking about impeachment. You have the Tom Steyers of the world. Tom Steyer is a San Franciscan. He's out there traveling the country. He's a very, he's a billionaire uh, saying, you know, Trump should be impeached. And you know, the, on the other hand, one of his neighbors, Nancy Pelosi, literal neighbors, uh, says we should not be talking about impeachment. That we should let the process carry out. We don't want to uh, let voters, when we when we want to get public support for this, feel that we have been prejudging this issue. And 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 uh, uh, other other Democrats uh, feel the same way. Where are you on this? Do you tell people that you've been very hard on the president? Where do you feel about impeachment? Well, I think that at the conclusion of this criminal uh, investigation, the right decisions are going to need to be made. 
and they can only be made as if there's a Democratic majority in the House of Representatives because that is a, a precursor because we know the Republicans have not demonstrated one ounce of spine standing up to Donald Trump. Look, there is no more Republican Party. It's a Donald Trump party at this point. The only people who have, have said boo uh, so far on this, on any of these uh, assaults on democracy, have been people who've retired. You know, Jeff Flake right. and or on the way out the Corker, door, yes. their way out their door. So <laughs> no one else who can actually do something about it is standing up to him. So we have to get a Democratic majority in the House. The best way to do that long term is elect Democratic governors. And as far as what I'm doing is focusing on electing Democratic governors, because that is the best way that we can really uh, win this battle. And and we can't wait for 2020 either. we gotta, we got to win in 2018. Uh, by the way, I have huge admiration for Tom Steyer. He has done incredible work. He has engaged the country, not just on this, but on climate change issues. And I know that, that the impeachment has been the thing that a lot of people are talking about, but his work on trying to help local communities defeat climate change is very important in multiple states. And I appreciate his efforts in that regard. But Let's go elect Democrats in 2018. That's but what impeachment, you on. said, do counsel people to talk about it or not talk about I don't, it? I don't spend my time counseling people. I just focus on my job. My job is to elect Democratic governors. Would you think they should talk about it or not? That's up to them. Okay. Right. <laughs> but, I, you know, Democratic governors candidates are not to date, and so they're focused on the bread and butter issues in their states, and that's why they're doing very well. And so that's why I'm confident we're going to have a good year. Um, I, I can't let you leave without talking about weed, of course, because uh, what do you think you, your state is a couple years down the road on cannabis legalization than here in California? We've had some fits and starts here in the first, uh, you know, what is it, six months of, of uh, you know, uh, adult recreational use. How do you think it's gone in, in your state and, and what, what's, what's gone well and what hasn't gone well? Well, I think uh, overall, it's it's been a what I would consider uh, a, a successful endeavor to to modernize our laws, to decriminalize marijuana, to allow law enforcement to focus on real crimes, you know, rather than people in recreational and medicinal use. Um, and it has been successful in the extent that a lot of the fears people had, including myself, I did not support the initiative in Washington when when it first came up. Uh, I was concerned about increased youthful usage. Fortunately, the evidence is, is, it does not cause great concern that there's been some significant increase in, increase in dramatic terms of youthful usage. There has been really no uh, you know, indication of increased criminality associated with this. We have had a, uh, a better, uh, safer product for consumers so that they know what they're getting and so that they aren't poisoned or disappointed, one of the two. And so that has been a success. On the revenue side, it has reduced the burden on other taxpayers because this has generated, you know, $400, $500 million mm. that can be used for a whole host of very beneficial things, including education. So on, on all the indications that you could judge it, I would have to say it's been on the successful side of the ledger. Now, as far as uh, uh, stumbles, of course, with any new program, you're going to have sort of rollout issues. So we had a day or two where the system... The, the tracing system did not work, so suppliers couldn't get their product for, for some period of time, a few days anyway, but that's very disruptive. It was a computer glitch, and I can tell anyone that, that goes down this road, you're going to have a, a few of those rolling this out. But I think the people who have objectively assessed this believe that Washington's is one of the most successful endeavors, and the reason is is because we've been very well regulated. 
we started a little bit on the slow side with a limited number of retail outlets. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't the Wild West. And so people would not feel that there was a marijuana store at every single corner surrounding their homes. Right. And that has, that has created a sense of sort of calm and acceptance. And it's been remarkable to me actually how much this has been accepted now as, as a new industry. Uh, there's a lot of people working in this industry. It's a yeah. big employer in my state right mm -hmm. now. Mm -hmm. And it has been accepted as, as uh, just a part of our economy. So uh, I think that our country is going to embrace this in fairly short order. It is my belief that this will happen a little bit on the uh, trajectory of gay marriage where we have debates for a long period of time. And then when we come to accept it, we'll find that uh, life goes on yeah. uh, without undue uh, panic. And I think that's going to be the case in marijuana. I think you're, you're seeing this rapidly. The public acceptance is extremely broad across the United States. And so I would urge Congress to act as soon as it can to free states from this admission, this uh, prohibition and, and to schedule it as the same as heroin is just nuts. Yeah. So that's a first step. So we can actually have some research on yeah, it. Yeah, that's too. a I very mean, first that. step that Congress could take uh, as a first step uh, to federal uh, decriminalization. So, uh, uh, yeah, I think it's been largely a success. And when are you going to decide whether you're going to run for president or not? Uh, I'm focused on 2018, and, I, and I'll tell you why I am focused on 2018. If you're thinking about 2020, you're not doing your job. Yeah. I mean, seriously. What you have to be thinking about a little bit? Come on. I, I'm thinking about 2018 because I got 24 hours of the day. Yeah. I've got, you know, 36 races. Uh, uh, this is a big year. This is the big year where we can move the needle. This is like the way I look at it is that uh, this is a potential way of election. We don't know that's going to happen. But it is a potential due to the multiple depredations of Donald Trump. And if people turn out to vote, uh, we're going to have an opportunity to advance progressive uh, matters and family-friendly matters like we haven't seen in my lifetime. I saw a wave election in 1994. Mm -hmm. I actually went through one. I voted to ban assault weapons in 1994. I represented a red, rural, conservative district. And we lost 62 seats that year in a wave election. This has the potential to have the same uh, dimension in the opposite direction. Not 60 seats, because the gerrymandering has limited right. <laughs> the options. But it, it's sort of like when in life, uh, you know, the, the merry-go-round only comes around once every 25 years. And you got to grab the brass ring. This is a year to grab the brass ring. And if you believe in advancing clean energy, and if you believe in advancing health care, and if you believe in bringing more equity uh, to our world, and if you believe in net neutrality, you got to find a young person and get them to go vote. And I'm serious about this. If anybody happens to be out there and you wonder, what can I do? Make a list of the six young people that you know and, and message them or text them or Snapchat or, dare I say, even call them on the antiquated telephone. Oh, they'll never answer. Telephone. Come on. They'll we'll never you answer. Could, we you know could, that. They'll never you answer. Could try they'll it. never, no, they'll Last never case answer. Text scenario. them. Text them. Maybe. Last chance. <laughs> try, try the cell phone. Maybe they'll answer. And, and, er, and get them to vote. I'm serious about this. That's what this issue is about this year. And if, and if, we can, if young people vote this year, we're going to restore this country to the basic values that it has. And I feel good about that, which includes civility. And I'll look forward to a little more civility in our oh, politics. Well, if you, after you do perhaps make your decision, if there is, you know, after, in 2019, will you come back? Because we know the road to the White House leads through. It's all political. Uh, there's no question. <laughs> this is the, this is the, uh, the, the uh, absolute heartthrob of democracy right <laughs> it here. It is the heartthrob. <laughs> I can almost hear it pounding in the yes. room right now. <laughs> Governor Inslee, thank you so much Thanks for coming. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, Don't forget to easy. vote. Oh, there you go. <laughs>
Thank you to Governor Inslee for coming on. I still don't believe you on Washington State wines. There's a couple good ones out of the Columbia Valley, a couple good Pinots, but that's about it. Uh, I'd like to thank uh, the king, King Kaufman. This, this podcast was produced by Podcast Royalty for producing today's episode. And I'd also like to thank Spencer Whitney, a prince of a man, for helping out on the production end as well. If you like this podcast, subscribe on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a comment and rate us. It all helps. And remember... Whether you're running for president or not, it's all political. Hey guys, Joe here. If you like political podcasts, you might like to check out Opinion Central. That's the one crafted by my buddy John Diaz. He's the editorial page editor of the San Francisco Chronicle. He and all his pals in the ivory tower here at the Chronicle talk to the big newsmakers of the day. They talk about the big issues of the day, and it's really smart and educational, and it's actually fun for being smart and educational. Check it out, Opinion Central, on Apple Podcasts or wherever you obtain your podcasts.